Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Here we go. It's Monday. Glad to have you along. Happy Monday. Richard Cross, Michael Borky. Brian Haydad and Brian Scott Rippey, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm and brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. You can find them online at mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Glad to have you along. The C Spire text line is open, 601-879-4395. Again, 601-879-4395 for you. Text line. Boys, what's up? How was your weekend, Borky? Did a whole lot of nothing but watch sports and made a Boston butt. So, pretty good weekend for me. Did you do the uh, Boston butt in the oven or gas grill or charcoal or what? So, I did it in a pressure cooker. And I've done ribs on the pressure cooker before, and they turned out actually really well. And the same thing with the butt. I did a five-pound Boston butt, Richard, in an hour and 20 minutes, start to finish. And it was like fall-off-the-bone tender? It was cooked perfectly. Now, you sacrifice the smoke flavor. I mean, it's not smoky sure. at all. I even added liquid smoke, and that didn't do it. But for an hour and 20 minutes worth of labor to get a fully cooked five-pound Boston butt, it was excellent. And I did that and had some beer and watched a whole lot of baseball and basketball this weekend. So... Apparently that story was boring. Hey, Dad, how was your weekend? Big win for uh, Mississippi State I was on the diamond. Who went out there? I was like, is it me? Is it them? Yeah, it was yeah, nice. one of the one of those days. It's already dropped a couple of times. We'll switch things over uh, in the break <laughs> and see if we can. Uh, my week, my weekend was was uh, very very uh, very relaxing. I didn't have a whole lot to do. Uh, I think if I had to pick a highlight of the weekend, and I'm not trying to take a shot at the Rebels because they ended up winning the series, but. I walked away from uh, the computer and everything for like an hour, and it was it was fifteen to nine, Ole Miss. And I I came back, somebody texted me, and they were like, oh, "Ole Miss is they're tied." Like, You're crazy. What do you mean they're tied? It was fifteen to nine, and then I saw what had happened there. So I assume Rippy had a very exciting weekend, uh, but mine was very relaxing, just watching uh, baseball on TV. Yeah, it was cool to see a game like that I've, I've never actually experienced anything like that that was probably the craziest baseball game i've ever seen uh just from like how quickly everything happened but yeah it was uh it was a good weekend i saw some friends down in baton rouge got to do some cool stuff after the game games after the game last night no 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 i drove back to oxford got back to oxford uh pretty late yeah pretty early this morning i what, guess with what, the what'd you roll in about 2 30 2 30 had some grad school stuff at eight a lot of Red Bull in the system today. Yes, yeah, so uh, Ava Montgomery turned nine yesterday. She is a Cinco de Mayo baby. Uh, 
so I was actually out of town on her birthday. We did birthday party on Friday, so thanks, guys, for picking up the slack on Friday. And then she had a dance recital, and we did some birthday stuff on Saturday. I bailed Saturday night, went to Norman, Oklahoma. It was like a 28-hour trip. It was like there and back. I got home about 1.45, but I had promised David Montgomery since I was missing her actual birthday that we would do uh, donuts on Monday morning. So it was head on the pillow at 1.45. Alarm clock went off at 5.55 to go pick up donuts Ooh. before school this morning. Ooh. So short night. I, I feel your pain on the uh, the get up early for grad school stuff. Worth it, though. It was a cool trip. Yeah. I always like going to Alex Box. Yeah, um, pretty cool environment. And uh, first time since 1982, I know you've probably heard that by now, that Ole Miss has won a series at Alec Box Stadium. In the old Alex Box with all the nostalgia. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Was the Mystique there this weekend? I saw, I saw plenty of Mystique this weekend. They're pretty good crowds every day. I wish it had still been full when that happened on uh, Sunday because it was still loud when LSU hit those home runs. But I would say like maybe a fourth of the crowd had kind of faded out when it was fifteen to nine or whatever. No, more than that was gone. I don't. There know, might man. have been like a fourth of the crowd left in the stadium. Oh, I disagree with that. There's still there were still a lot of people there when that happened. Really? Yeah. There was. I mean, it wasn't full by any means. Like a, a good chunk had left, but like it wasn't. It was still pretty loud. Like that place was. And. And that, to me, is the most interesting thing about LSU baseball fans. It doesn't really matter what the score is, because there have been so many crazy come-from-behind victories, whether it's a possum running on the field and sparking that rally uh, against Arkansas a few years ago, or it's what happened yesterday. Hey, Dad, we were talking, have you ever been to a game at Alec Box? I've never been to a baseball game at LSU, no. Okay. But I've seen enough football games. And, Borky, you've not been to a baseball... I know I've seen enough of the football games there to know that the voodoo travels. It travels from from spot to spot in the, on that campus. Yeah, it, it does. But they've been so good in baseball, and they've been so talented, and their fans believe that LSU, even if they're down sixth in the ninth inning, are going to come back and make a game. Obviously, they don't always win those games. They don't win it yesterday. But even the most ardent and diehard LSU fans, I don't know that they would have seen that unfolding the way that it did. And speaking of mystique, the the lights to Tiger Stadium in the background, notice this last time I was there but forgot, just flicker on and off the whole time. It was like creeping me out. But hmm. Which I guess you noticed, what, the first two nights with night games, right? Yeah. There you go. Uh, we got a bunch to get to this afternoon. Kind of a, uh, a crazy weekend and... <laughs> It feels like we say that most Mondays, which is kind of cool. The cool thing about sports is it just keeps sports just keeps giving us storylines. So you get the Ole Miss series win, Mississippi State Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Noah's Ark was necessary on Thursday night. It rained and rained and rained, but then they got one game in on Friday. Hey, Dad, the the thing that I wasn't sure about. And, and maybe it ended up raining big time on Friday night, and they knew they only had the window to get one game in. But the weather for Friday's game in College Station seemed pretty decent. Seems like they would have tried to play two nines on Friday and then just the one nine on Saturday. They didn't do that. They went with the two sevens. Yeah, and like you said, I don't know what the forecast was after the game ended uh, or you know before the first game started, so... They just, that's just the plan they went with. And, and I like, uh, as Borky and I talked about on Friday show, and as, as I see here in our notes, it's Dom 
but it is what it is. Yeah, it is. But uh, Mississippi State gets two out of three on the road. Uh, Ethan Small, pretty darn good. In fact, so darn good that he was named SEC Pitcher of the Week. Is that the first time or is that multiple times that he's gotten Pitcher of the Week this year? First time this year. Okay. There have been a couple of other outings where he probably was deserving probably, of yeah, being but, named Pitcher of the Week. Yeah, I agree. But uh, agree. dominant in his win, uh, Mississippi State uh, did drop one, though, in College Station this weekend. Southern Miss was at home, lost the first two, and then got a one-run win over FAU to remain in first place. They had a two-game lead over FAU going into the weekend, dropped the first two, and really they weren't all that close, and then they get a win yesterday, so they walk out of the weekend one game in front of FAU uh, with not a whole lot of baseball remaining, so a chance to uh, win a regular season crown still for Southern Miss. A little bit of separation remaining or, or occurred over the weekend in the SEC, but you've still got six teams that are fighting for the top four seeds and two of those teams will obviously meet in Oxford coming up Friday, Saturday, and Sunday this weekend. Identical records for Ole Miss and Mississippi State. Hey, Dad, we'll, we'll obviously spend a lot of time getting ready for that series throughout the course of the week. Rippy and I were talking earlier. I said, you got any kind of a gut feeling on how it goes this weekend? And he, he said to me, I have no idea. And I said, you know, it's funny you say that because I kind of feel the same way. Are you in that boat also? I mean, it's it's a road series in the SEC between two rivals. One's trying to lock up a national seed. One has gotten themselves back into the hosting discussion, so they both want to win very, very badly on top of all the bragging rights. It's Jake Mangum's last trip to Oxford, so there's something there for me. I mean, there's a lot going on with this series. I feel pretty good about State's ability to win it, but I won't be completely shocked at all if Ole Miss wins the series. All righty. I'm I'm shocked that you think Mississippi State's going to win the series. I'm shocked that the number three team in the country might win a series on the road against a lower ranked team. Yes, you're right. Wonder where Jake Mangum's condo is in Oxford. He's been there so many times. He just stays in the mayor's office. He's got a, oh, got a listen add on you. there. Listen to you. Are we doing this all week long? Or are we just? I mean, talk we can. The game we can. We can do whatever merits. you want, man. I, I can be professional, or I can. We can have fun. One of the way. Either way. Yeah. Uh, Is that the A-team theme happening? There you go. Yes! Crazy ending at the Derby. NBA playoffs have been much better this round. Some interesting SEC scheduling news and some quirks that are exposed as a result of announcements for future games involving SEC teams. Plus, we will hear from Scott Barry. And Chris Lamonis and Mike Bianco. So busy three hours for you coming up. We'll dive into the Mississippi State Series win in College Station when we come back. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Well, as you realize that two weeks from today, we will be making our way toward Hoover, Alabama after the show, or maybe early on Tuesday morning for the SEC Baseball Tournament. Just six games remaining in conference play in the regular season for everybody in the league. You've got series coming up this weekend and then Thursday, Friday, Saturday to round out the regular season the following weekend. And then it's postseason baseball. How much of that postseason baseball is going to happen in the state of Mississippi? Well, you have to stay tuned for that. Feel pretty good about the fact that you're going to have one regional in Starkville, 
The only question is, will Mississippi State be automatically granted the right to host a Super Regional by virtue of being a national seed, a top eight seed in the field of 64? And I guess that will depend on how things go the next uh, couple of weeks. Right now it looks really, really good for Mississippi State. Started on Friday this past weekend because they were rained out on Thursday night. A 4 nothing win for the Bulldogs against Texas A&M. And, hey, Dad, we, we spent some time talking about the fact that it looked like Mississippi State was going to kind of tinker with the rotation a little bit. But when everything got pushed back a day, they were able to go in order. And you got the matchup, Ethan Small against John Doxakis. Ethan Small, seven innings. Did not allow a hit. One walk, eight strikeouts. He faced 23 hitters and just a really, really good outing for Ethan Small. Yeah, in a season where he's been so good, this was probably his best outing of the year. I feel pretty confident in saying that, uh, to, to not give up a hit. Um, and State, you know, State only gave up one hit in the game, and that one hit came on a uh, a fly ball that Mangum dove for and missed by, I mean, a mosquito's wing. Uh, worth of, of difference from that being a no-hitter uh, for, for them. So, yeah, Small was really, really good. He's pitched incredibly well uh, all season long, but he seems to have picked up his game the past couple of weeks and had really, really good outings since that Arkansas game. Uh, and, you know, pitching obviously was the story for Mississippi State this weekend. They pitched well enough to win all three games. You lose a one nothing game on Saturday where JT Ginn pitched maybe one of his best games of the year. Um, but the Bulldog arms were, were, you know, all four of them, they only pitched four pitchers all weekend, uh, but they were very, very good when they were out there. Um, John Doxakis was not bad for Texas A&M. He gives up four runs. Three of them were earned runs in the uh, in the ball game for Texas A&M. A couple of guys out of the bullpen. Four to nothing though was the uh, the final. It would not really have mattered how well John Doxakis pitched in the game. Uh, because Ethan Small was just so good. Then you get to the uh, the Saturday seven-inning doubleheader. So Mississippi State scratches for four runs in game one of the series, and then it was Texas A&M's turn to be dominant on the mound. Asa Lacey, a seven-inning, three-hit, complete game, eight strikeouts, four walks. JT Ginn was pretty good, six innings, three hits, only one earned run allowed in the ball game, but Texas A&M with a run in the bottom of the sixth inning, got the win one to nothing. A combined one run and six hits, and both teams played errorless baseball. Yeah, that's as good and clean a pitching performance from both teams as you're going to see. Uh, Ginn was was really, really good. I, they don't have his pitch count on here, but I am almost positive it was around 70, 75 pitches. It was low enough that I made a joke that, Maybe he could pitch an inning or two in the second game because he just hadn't he just hadn't thrown a lot of pitches. He was very very efficient. He struck out seven, uh, but State just couldn't get the bats going. They left the bases loaded, I believe, in the second inning uh, without being able to get a run, and they just they couldn't take advantage of anything in this game. Played real A and M, uh, like you said, uh, Lacey was really really good in this game, really sharp, and and it ended up being you know that's a tough loss, a one nothing loss in a game where you're, you get a a pitching performance like that. It's a tough game to lose, but State did in fact lose it. Yeah, after one out in the second inning, Rowdy Jordan doubled to left. Dustin Skelton walked. Halter walked to load the bases. Uh, but then Marshall Gilbert grounded into a double play to end the inning. And it was probably the best scoring opportunity for Mississippi State in the game. Not a lot of base runners for the uh, the rest of the way. You get to Texas A&M in the bottom of the sixth inning. A walk to Braden Shoemake with one out. Then you had a line out. Then you got a double down the left field line. 
and uh, Shoemake was able to score on the play, and Texas A&M got the one nothing win. About a 45-minute break in between games, and then you turn around and do it all over again. Uh, the Game 3 pitching matchup was uh, another pretty decent one. Peyton Plumley goes six innings and gives up six hits, three earned runs. Christian Roa did not last long. He gave up five hits and two runs in an inning and a third for Texas A&M. They went to the bullpen and kind of pieced it together the rest of the way. Uh, but Mississippi State with a run in the first, a run in the second, a run in the fourth, and a run in the seventh. Texas A&M made it close in the bottom of the seventh. They got two runs across but uh, still not able to add that final run, and it ended with a Braden Shoemake fly out to, uh, to left field. So Mississippi State goes on the road. They get the win. It was a really good weekend, and it was what you needed to do. I mean, yes, sweeps are nice. You go win a series on the road, though, you feel really good about yourself. Yeah, you have to, especially against a quality opponent like Texas A&M. Hostile environment. Uh, it's, they're such a good pitching team. I, I I don't feel good for the team that has to play them in the in the regionals because they are going to struggle to score runs against that Texas A&M uh, pitching staff. But State did what it had to do, and it did it in a way that you know you think about last weekend against Georgia, they were able to pound out a lot of runs and a lot of hits. And this weekend it turned around. The hitting wasn't great. Two through four. Uh, Westberg, Allen, and McNamee were a combined four of 28 on the weekend. If I told you that on Thursday, you probably think, well, the state probably drops at least two games in this series. They might get swept. Instead, they took two out of three because their pitching was just so good. And, and the crazy thing, again, to only use four pitchers. I know the seven-inning games, you might be able to get away with, you know, get a complete game, but they only pitched four guys. They pitched the three starters, and Jarrett Liebelt had uh, a couple of innings of relief in, in, on Friday and Saturday. That's it. Louisville has more wins than anybody else in the country. The Louisville Cardinals in the ACC, 39-9. and That's one more than Mississippi State's got, one more than Vanderbilt has. So you got Mississippi State sitting there with 38 wins at 38-10 overall. Vanderbilt is 38-9 and overall. And uh, those are, I mean, that, that's pretty elite company. You, you look up, you've got UCLA as the number one team in the country with 37 wins. Stanford sitting at number two with 34 wins. That might be a little high for Stanford, but you know, I guess that's up for debate. They're like one and two against RPI top 50 teams. Yeah, it's kind of weird. Yeah, it is strange. Um, and that one win came against UCLA, right? A, a series right. that UCLA won. Wasn't that series like like razor close though, as far as margin? Like, wasn't there? There's a couple walk offs, at least one, I think. I don't know. Two, two good baseball teams. Oregon State is the other team that on the West Coast has been really impressive. Oregon State went 0-4 this week. They got swept by Oklahoma State in Corvallis this past weekend. And you go, well, why are a Big 12 team and a Pac-12 team playing at this juncture of the season? Well, the Big 12 has only nine baseball-playing teams, and the Pac-12 doesn't have a conference tournament. So they get an extra week's worth of games going to spread things out, and so that's why you had that. It was a really good series for um, for the uh, the Big 12 and Oklahoma State getting the win, especially on the heels of uh, being swept by Texas Tech in Lubbock the week before. Yeah. And that, you look that's confused, a, that's, Rippy. Who doesn't play Big 12 baseball? Iowa State. Okay. I didn't know that. Yeah. There you go. So Sorry, State, hey, go ahead. Well, Oregon State. I mean, right now they're out of the national seed discussion. They're 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 in the hosting discussion, but they've got to find you know some wins on the on the last few weekends of the season to maybe even stay in that, just because you know their RPIs it dropped ten spots. I think is that what you said, or maybe I just read that ten spots in, in one weekend. I mean, that's 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 tough. That's tough this late in the season to have that happen for you. 
Yeah, number one overall RPI team in the country is UCLA. They are 37-8. and eight. Got the number one RPI and the number two strength of schedule. They are 10-3 and three against the top 25, 15-6 and six against the top 50. And if you want to push it out to the uh, the top 100, they are 25 and 7. So you understand why UCLA is there. Vanderbilt sitting there with the number three strength of schedule. They are 18 and 7 against the top 50. And then you look at Mississippi State, 20 and 10 against the top 50. 13 top 25 RPI wins and 7 and 2 against the teams that are currently 26 through 50. So when you look ahead, you've got Ole Miss and Mississippi State coming up this weekend. Ole Miss currently at number 17 in the RPI. They moved up six spots this past weekend, 32-17 and overall. Ole Miss has got nine wins against the top 25, seven more against the uh, teams 26 through 50. So they're sitting at 16-14 and against the top 50. Yeah, we were having this. The 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 RPI going to seventeen tells me that eighteen wins is probably enough to host. Like after the Southern Miss, you were kind of unsure as to where that would fluctuate. With you having State and Tennessee to finish it out, like three and three gets you to eighteen. That's probably a good enough RPI to host. Like you probably don't have to have nineteen. Nineteenth would probably like put an exclamation point on it, but. 18 seems like it would be enough if you're already at 17. Don't, don't you think 19 and 11 versus 18 and 12 is the difference in being like the number 13 or 14 overall seed and the number 16 overall seed? Well, sure, and you could, if you got to 19, you could get hot in Hoover, kind of like that 16 team did, and kind of creep into the national seed discussion because, remember, Ole Miss lost out in 16 to the final national seed to LSU despite having like three-fourths of the metrics and the head-to-head in their favor. Yeah. So uh, so interesting stuff, and uh, we'll really be looking closely at RPI numbers over the uh, over the next three weeks. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Brian Scott Rippey, Brian Haydad, Michael Borky, glad to have you along. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Online, you can find them at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing needs, well, Mississippi State for over or Mississippi Land Bank for over 100 years has been providing the financing and refinancing solutions for families, individuals, and groups who want to purchase rural land and need to finance the purchase. They offer financing and refinancing solutions for improvements to your property, equipment to maintain the property, loans for production, livestock, and other related financial needs. You can find their branch locations on the website. You can also grab a phone number and just give them a call, mslandbank.com. Monday afternoon, just after 4 o'clock, winners and losers. All I I, I do is win. We got winners. We got losers. Americans love a winner and will not tolerate a loser. Interesting stuff to pick from this weekend. I guess maybe the biggest winner of the weekend, the tune of $1.8 million, is Country House. That's right, that's a horse. It's a horse that won the Kentucky Derby because of a disqualification to the horse that actually crossed the finish line first. Maximum security 
Um, plans to file an appeal with the Kentucky Horse Racing Commission on what grounds we're not entirely sure because they don't allow appeals. I'll get to the loser side of this thing coming up in uh, just a minute, but uh, Country House is a winner in the quite literal sense. The wreath of, or not the wreath, but like the blanket of roses across its back and uh, all that goes along with it. Pretty good stud fees now, I guess, as well. Country House is a winner. Borky, who's your winner? Kawhi Leonard. Uh, so I know not big NBA people, especially the team that is not in the United States of America, but Kawhi Leonard is averaging 38 points per game on 62% shooting so far in this series after four games. Michael Jordan averaged in his best playoff series 35 points and 60% shooting in one playoff series. LeBron has never done 35 and 60 or better. Kevin Durant has never done it. Kobe Bryant has never done it. Kawhi Leonard right now is having the best playoff series in the history of the NBA for a perimeter player. He's been incredible. He's still a robot. His teammates don't even know what his voice sounds like. They've admitted that. But, man, that robot is putting on a show so far in these playoffs. Best two-way player in the world. Probably not even close. In the world. On the planet. Hey, Dad, who's your winner? Well, his team lost the game today, but I'm going to go with Pablo Sandoval of the San Francisco Giants, only the second player in modern Major League Baseball history to hit a home run, steal a base, and pitch a scoreless inning in the same game. Pablo Sandoval. The panda. Interesting choice. Yeah. The panda. Love the panda. he still look like he did a few years ago? Uh, He's trimmed up a little since he uh, took a bunch of Boston's money for you. There you go. Sounds good. Rippy, you got a winner? Max Homa. I was going to go to that. PGA Tour winner and a guy that lost his card twice. He missed 15 of 17 cuts in 2017. It was like like going out there and barely breaking 80. Basically just decided that he was going to work on like an individual piece of his game every time he went out, like no matter how bad the results got. It's like literally for a year and a half just went out and like, I mean, he said he embarrassed himself, but like he was like, I just woke up the next day and said I was going to turn it on. Now he won $1.4 million on tour, and he's probably set for the next you know, three to four years. Doubled his career earnings in an afternoon. Pretty solid. Because, I mean, the first time he got his card, he only made 12 out of like 27 cuts. Like, not great, but you know, 2017 was embarrassingly bad. Yeah, and... Really relatable dude, too. Pretty good uh, leaderboard yesterday, right? It was. Really good leaderboard. He was a great amateur player, too. Those Cal teams that he was on were unbelievable. I believe he is an individual national champion, just never put it together as a pro. That is, uh, that's correct. I think uh, Cal got beat in the quarterfinals of match play. It was a huge upset, too. It, it was. Um, Justin Rose finished third. Uh, Joel Dahman finished uh, second. Justin Rose third. Ricky Fowler at 9-under was tied for fourth, along with Sergio Garcia, Paul Casey, and Jason Duffner. So a lot of uh, big names. Uh, Rory McIlroy was top ten as well. So Max Homa gets a win uh, in Charlotte at Quail Hollow for the Wells Fargo Championship. Um, As a bridge to the gap between winners and losers, can Ole Miss baseball fall into both categories? I'll make the rules. I'll go yes. Losing a six-run lead in the bottom of the ninth inning when you're trying to win a series in a place that you've not won a series in 37 years is suboptimal. 
All while just trying to secure the last out. They already had two in the bag. Two outs. Base is empty. Base hit. Base hit. Three run, Jack. Solo shot. Solo shot. Tie ball game. Pretty impressive by LSU. So that might fall into the loser's category. But to give up six runs in the bottom of the ninth inning and then turn around and put a four spot on the board in the top of the tenth to come back, that part's got to put you on the winner's list. I would think. I wouldn't argue. Not many Ole Miss fans had much faith in Ole Miss pulling off the win after giving up a six-run lead in the bottom of the ninth, right? Yeah, because it was just such a shell-shocked like feeling, like in the sense, like you saw him like run to the dugout, and it was just kind of like, you know, aside from like rapidly deleting stuff on my computer, like it was just like how, like what just happened? Because it all happens. It's not one thing where LSU got six, seven, eight hits in a row, and they just kept running around the bases like it was cricket. Like it just happened, like unraveled like that. Six pitches. Yeah, like literally six, six pitches. Six pitches. Bam, bam, bam. Tie game. Never seen anything like it. And you might not again. Really adds to the nostalgia at that ballpark, though. Gives it a little more mystique, doesn't it? Yeah. Hey, Dad, you got a loser? I don't know why I'm sticking with this Giants-Reds game that happened today, but the people who work at Great American Ballpark had to deal with a bee attack. <laughs> I, I'm not scared of a lot of things, but I don't really like stinging insects. So uh, I would that would that would have been a situation where if I worked at Great American Ballpark, I might have had to tender my resignation because I'm not going out there and dealing with bees. It wasn't just like a small hive either. It was it was that's a, a lot. It was a lot of bees. It was an infestation, you could say. Yes. Did uh, did you deal with bees at any point at at, at G? I never, never, last year? En- never encountered any bees. Um, really, the most dangerous thing that happened while I was there was they have a like a four wheeler type mascot called Redzilla, and that the guy that drives that thing is just absolutely reckless. Disaster waiting to happen. But other than that, not really. Borky, you got a loser? Uh, real quick, one winner just two weeks after they were named in federal court. Uh, for being involved in a pay-for-play scheme. Clemson lands a five-star running back, the best running back in the country from Maryland, and then they land the best overall quarterback in the country from Florida. So good for Clemson football uh, for not missing a beat. And my loser, Game of Thrones, because during the episode last night, a Starbucks coffee cup was left on the table next to the queen of the dang show. They're panning across. (laughs) I don't know how they missed this, but I, didn't, I missed it. I didn't see it. Clear as day, you see a Starbucks coffee cup sitting on the table next to the Queen on a show that is set in a time where there was no electricity. Borky, so, doggone it. Did you not pay attention to anything last week? You have just spoiled part of Episode 4 <laughs> of Game of Thrones for somebody... We're going to get another email. ...who's going to go email. back and watch that, and you have completely spoiled the fact... That there's going to be a white coffee cup with a mermaid on the side of it. Doggone it. So, 
Y'all buried the lead here. Mon's maximum security. I don't understand horse racing. I don't understand anything about this scenario. Like, is this an accidental thing, or is this like a Ron Artest malice at the palace where this, this horse is like a dirty player? Now, I don't understand this. And, one, I didn't know you couldn't touch anything in the horse racing, so is it not, like, wildly impressive that all these years watching horse racing, they make the turn in tight packs and no one's touched each other? I don't understand this. So is this horse, like... Draymond crotch-shotting people, or was this completely in an incidental contact? I don't understand this. I don't understand anything about it. My loser with regard to that is the stewards. <laughs> the stewards of... They're like the, the rules czars in horse racing. Their decision is final. They put out a lawyerly crafted statement and refused to take any questions about their decision because they are above taking questions. I didn't know horse racing had rules. Not only does it have rules, it has stewards who are losers. Communication system is a go. go. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Exactly. Sports Talk Mississippi with you on this Monday afternoon. Richard Cross, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott, Rippy, Michael Borky in the studio. Glad to have you along. You can text the show, 601-879-4395. Vanderbilt on top of the East at 18-6, and six, followed by Georgia two games back at 16-8. and eight. Just a couple of weeks ago, you had Georgia on top of the East, and that changed after they were swept by Mississippi State. In the West, Arkansas on top at 17-7. and seven. Two games back, Mississippi State at 15-9 and Ole Miss at 15-9. Those teams will meet in Oxford starting on Friday night. Chris Lamonis joins us on the Farm Bureau phone line right now. Coach, you uh, you get to College Station and you have to wait a day. Did you uh, did you like think about team-building exercises? Like maybe you guys could go out in the parking lot of the hotel and build an arc <clears throat> or something to pass the time? Well, what's, what stinks is we got stuck um, in the dugout for four hours. So uh, that was our team-building uh, while we were in College Station. <laughs> We took BP and then just sat in the dugout and watched it rain. What was there a legitimate hope that that game was going to happen on Thursday night because neither team wanted to get into that scenario where you had to play two seven inning games, or was it pretty evident that it just wasn't going to let up? No, we thought we were going to get it in. They had, um, you know, the storms were right above us and they weren't sure if they were going to hit. That's why we took BP, got ready, and then when the storms came, we just didn't have a chance. We just got stuck in there for the night. Nobody wants to play the two sevens on Sunday. Ethan Small, uh, you, you were going to kind of shake up the pitching rotation a little bit for Thursday, Friday, Saturday. When it gets pushed back, you're able to go back to your normal rotation. Was that the best that you've seen him, where, where he goes seven innings, no hit? That was pretty good. I mean, he, he had all three pitches working. His below was good, um, and he just dominated for those seven innings. He was a uh, you know, he's been pretty good almost every start of the year, but I'd say that's as good as he's been. What is it that, that makes Ethan Small the pitcher that he is? Is it, is it stuff? Is it mental makeup? Is it ability to you mix know, the, pitches? What, what is it? The stuff is good when you look at it on a radar gun, but the other, the, the analytics piece of it, his extension rate, which is how far he releases it, is one of the farthest out there. So it feels like perceptual speed. It's probably faster than what the, 
you know, the scoreboard showing you. So it, it, the ball's on you, and um, he's just funky. And then there's a lot of makeup in there too. So he's a real tough kid um, who's not going to back down from anything. What um, what do you do with the the analytics piece? I mean, you, you mentioned extension rate there, and I, I know TrackMan is everywhere, and it spits out so many numbers. How much of right. that are you able to use and quantify and figure out what to do with versus some of it's just, okay, that's nice, but we don't really have a use for it? You know, a lot of it's in the recruiting side. So you're trying to figure out, you know, who's coming in, who has that extension rate. Same thing the pro guys are doing, and, and we use it in certain ways. I mean, there's, you know, the strike zones that TrackMan gives us every night and, and where balls are and where balls are finishing. And there's a new piece of it now called tunneling you know, where the ball's coming out. JT, again, does his great job. The fastball and the slider come out of the same slot all the time. So it's just really hard to pick up from a guy. But, you know, we're trying to use it as much as we can, probably not as much as some, but more than others. I mean, it's um, a little old school and a little new school at the same time. Coach Brian, hey, Dad. You only threw four pitchers all weekend, which is something that you just don't see a lot of, even with the short games. Does that change your approach for this midweek game to keep your bullpen guys sharp? Maybe you want to go, you know, five or six different guys, maybe a whole staff approach, just to keep them, you know, in in the groove. I would think you'd see that. I mean, Keegan, we're going to try to let Keegan give us a pretty good start, but we still want to have him for the weekend, and then we do need to get a lot of guys out there and get them some work. So everybody, you know, besides Lee Belt, is uh, everybody else is on on hand and. Be nice to give everybody a couple outs apiece to get them out there and get them get their feet back out on the mound. Chris Lamonis on your radio head baseball coach at Mississippi State. Going into that that long day where you play two seven inning games and it gets late really fast, what do you say to your team going into that day, or is it more of a message in between games, or do you say anything to them about how you want to kind of approach and handle that type game? Well, our message has mainly been about coming out. Competing and playing good baseball. Uh, that environment's pretty pretty crazy. College baseball environment. Ours has been about us the last couple weeks and just getting out and competing. Uh, the guy they threw in the first game is man. He's got a chance to be the first pick in next year's draft. I mean, it was it's power stuff from the left side. Um, so ours was just about competing. And I thought our guys did a good job. I know we didn't have any runs, but we had him at a pitch count where we wanted. Unfortunately, we were in the seven inning game. And uh, we hit into a couple double plays when we had some opportunities to make something happen. But then you regroup after the first game and get them ready to play the second one, which they were able to do, and just you know keep fighting. We were talking with, with Scott Barry earlier today from uh, from Southern Miss, and he had an interesting approach. I asked him about RPI and kind of how much time he was spending and whether or not he thought Conference USA was a two-bid league. And he says that he does not look at RPI. And and I know there are some coaches that maybe give lip service to that, but they actually do. How much time do you spend looking at, at polls and RPI and trying to know exactly what you need to do to be a host or to be a national seed? Well, I came from the Midwest, so RPI was huge. You were always trying to figure it out and put yourself in the right spot. It's, it's a lot more difficult up there. Um I don't look at polls at all because polls are just people's opinions. I do look at the RPI every once in a while to see where we're at, how we're going to schedule for next year. I was a little worried about our out-of-conference schedule this year, and Scott Boxall kept telling me, hey, don't worry about it. It'll be all right by the end of the year. And uh, He was right. I mean, it's just the SEC schedule, especially playing in the West, you just it just makes up for <clears throat> all those things. And we're in a spot now where we play at Ole Miss, which our RPI is not going to move unless, it, you know, really just going to stay about the same either way and then south carolina 
So you just in our league, it's just we don't have a lot of ways to move our RPI. We could win and move up one spot, but you know if we lose, we probably move back two spots. So it's really not a RPI is not the biggest thing. It has been all year, and we put ourselves in a good spot, but <clears throat> we're just trying to get ready for the next game. I know it's a lot of coach speak, but um, when you're a Midwest school where I came from, you look at the RPI and you spend a lot of time trying to figure it out. Is there anything that you'll do different in putting your, together your schedule? I know you said Scott kept saying it'll be okay when it's all said and done. <laughs> now, now that you've seen that it turns out okay, will you try to schedule the way you did, or the the schedule that you inherited this year? Will you try to replicate that, or will you do something different when you're building it for next year? No, we're trying to get our midweeks to be a little tougher. Some of our midweeks here and there, just um, make it more competitive. We are, you know, we had a pretty good. We played Southern Miss for one of our out-of-conference weekends, who's you know one of the better teams we've played all year. Um, so we'll, we'll play some good teams in our out-of-conference those first couple weeks, but we'll also um, try to play some real competitive games in our midweek. And I think that's the biggest piece of it. I mean, our league, it does take care of RPI for the most part as long as you're winning. No, you've got the, uh, the midweek game to uh, get ready for, but obviously a big one this weekend. You've seen Ole Miss once. How will this weekend be different than the Governor's Cup game was? I, I know you certainly would hope for the same results that you had uh, down in Pearl, but, but what do you expect it to be different this weekend than the, the first time you saw the Rebels? Well, in the last two weeks, they've played really good baseball. They swept uh, Texas A&M and had a big weekend at LSU, so I'm sure we'll go in there and <clears throat> see a team with a lot of confidence. It's one of the better lineups in the country i mean these guys have they've just swung it against everybody all year long and it's weekend starters i mean so it's going to be a uh you know a full full weekend of their best arms against our best arms i, I would imagine it's going to be really competitive it's going to be some close games and a great atmosphere yeah it's going to be a lot of fun here in the uh, the state of mississippi chris always appreciate your time have a great week all right thanks guys take care some point along the way on some schedule that came out the original game time for mississippi state ole miss on saturday was four o'clock that is not the case yes uh espn sec sports ole miss and the ole miss radio network have all confirmed six o'clock on saturday you're welcome to come at four hey dad had a couple. Well, of I mean, I might be there screen. around four, you know, just to go ahead and get in the press box and you know put my feet up, but uh, I won't start working, I guess, until six. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that is certainly the uh, the case. The, the other times are so six thirty uh, and noon. We're, we're good on the other two times. Do what? Six thirty Friday, noon on Sunday. I may change it. I'll get back to you. Okay, thanks, Rippy. Thank you, Doctor Rippy. Yes. I appreciate that. First pitch on Friday night is at 6.30. First pitch on Saturday is at 6. And Sunday's on regular TV, and I'm not doing it. So I had really looked at first pitch <laughs> for, for that one. If, if we're just being completely candid, I'll make it to the ballpark when I, uh, when I make it on Sunday. Let's talk a little bit about the weekend in uh, in Baton Rouge. We'll start on Friday night. Will Etheridge was on the mound for Ole Miss. Mikhail Hilliard got the start for LSU. His curveball was pretty good. Story though was Zach Hess out of the bullpen. Uh, out of the bullpen, four innings, three hits, one run. It was a solo home run by uh, Cooper Johnson in the ball game. I say that was the story of the game. 
Uh, there was another storyline that emerged in the game when Drew Bianco got a pinch hit home run that really didn't have an effect on the outcome of the game, but certainly from a just telling a story when the last name on your jersey and the last name on the head coach of the other team's jersey is the same. And number. People are looking. Also wearing five. That's true. So I thought about when I was down on the field one day just shouting five and see which one of them turned around. Yeah. Did you actually do it? Did not. Just a thought that thought bubble that never happened. Yeah. So what did you think about Friday night? So I thought there were a couple different storylines. So I thought Ole Miss actually fared decently well against Hillier. They squared him up. They ran into some hard contact just kind of at people. Didn't really take so they didn't take advantage in the first or second inning. They had a couple guys on. I believe it was the second inning where they had first and second no outs. Only netted one run and then Hilliard retired nine in a row after that. And then when you have like a you know, an arm talent like Zach Hess at the you know, at the front end of your bullpen for the first time in a long time, because he's been their Friday night guy for the better part of the last two seasons, really. I imagine Hilliard had a pretty short leash, and he did. Hess came in, was good. What oh, It was the seventh, or it was the eighth Ole Miss loaded the bases. And Cooper, so Cooper Johnson had tagged him for a solo home run that went a mile um, on a 95-mile-an-hour heater the first time. Sure enough, Cooper Johnson comes in. The second time with the bases loaded, really fun at bat, like in the sense that they were kind of like, it, it was a really nice chess match, and then uh, Hess got him with a fastball on the outside corner, blew it by him, kind of gave him a little stare down and a yell as he walked off. It was uh, The game was intense at that moment, obviously, because it was 4-3, to three. then things kind of unraveled for Ole Miss. Um, they had a couple of errors at, at second base, obviously Kevin Graham did the whole hot potato thing uh, with the pitchback, uh, suboptimal strategy there. Um, and then had a ball get by him that allowed the unearned run to come by, and I believe that was the seventh to make. Like it would have been three three with Johnson's home run had that unearned run not score. Of course, made up with it with a pair of three run home runs the next two days. But that was kind of the story, and then things really just came unglued in the eighth. Yeah, the the eighth inning for LSU single single sack bunt sack fly two run home run solo home run. And all of a sudden, there's a four spot on the board, and the game is out of reach. Uh, eight to three was the final in game one. The winning pitcher was Zach Hess. Will Etheridge took the loss. Went seven innings, gave up seven hits and uh, four runs, four strikeouts, no walks for Will Etheridge. Was he good? It was okay. Not great. Not his best outing. Uh, you turn the page to Saturday, and you knew Saturday was important. And it was important because Ole Miss was trying to even the series. But also, you thought the best arm of the weekend was on the mound for LSU. With Eric Walker getting the start and going against Doug Nikhazy. It was Nikhazy, though, who outpitched him. Doug Nikhazy, six and a third, five hits, one earned run. Walker lasted only four innings. He gave up three hits, but he gave up four earned runs. He had three walks in the uh, in the ball game. Anthony Servideo was two for four. Um, and then uh, a big day for uh, Kevin Graham. Hits a three-run bomb. Difference in the game. Yeah, it was, and it was a much cleaner played game. I wasn't impressed with Eric Walker at all. He was at like a very flat 87. Ole Miss squared him up even early in the game. Like They didn't get the results um, very quickly, but they were hitting balls hard. And then I think just on the other end of it, you're just kind of seeing Doug Nikhazy kind of come into his own. Like If you want to make an LSU comparison because of you – know, who they were playing. He's very Jared Poche-esque in the sense that he knows what he is. He's not overwhelming with the velocity, but he's an incredibly smart pitcher, throws four pitches for strikes, and for a true freshman has a sense of maturity and, and kind of thinks his way through a game that's kind of beyond his years. And, you know, he was really, really good again. And, you know, he's won 
SEC Freshman of the Week twice was probably worthy of it again with that performance. And, I mean, where is Ole Miss without him stabilizing that rotation? He's been the most consistent starter they have, and that's not really a knock on Etheridge. It's just Nikhazy's been really, really, really good. So Ole Miss wins game two, five to one, and then you get the epic. One way to describe it. Ole Miss led four to nothing, and then they were ahead seven to nothing, and then it was seven to one, and then it was ten to one, and then it was ten to four, and then eleven to four, and then eleven to six, and then thirteen to six, and then thirteen to nine. That's through seven innings, but LSU couldn't keep Ole Miss from scoring. It's then fifteen to nine, a six-run lead with two outs in the bottom of the ninth inning. And Parker Caracy, who had an easy eighth inning and is showing no signs of any problem. And then it comes unraveled. This was LSU's bottom of the ninth inning. With two outs. Fly out, ground out. On a full count pitch and a 1-0 pitch. So six pitches, seven pitches, two outs. Single, single, wild pitch, single, RBI. So Zach Watson drives in a run. It's a five-run game. Duplantis three-run jack to right field. Now it's a two-run game. Beloso hits his second home run of the game to right field. Now it's a one-run game. Josh Smith makes it back to back to back. Blast one over the right field wall. Tied at 15. Austin Miller comes in. Gets a, uh, a fly out from uh, Dugas to get out of the inning. And ballpark's going crazy. Ole Miss is deflated. And Mike Bianco called his team together in the dugout coming off the field, which is not something that he does a lot of. I would say very rarely. What did he say to them? He said, look, like this was not going to be easy. Like This is where we're going to win the game now. And then just kind of challenged him. Like, do you believe you can score a run or two and then stop them from scoring and end this game? Like, you know, they haven't won down there in a long time. Like, they didn't think it'd be easy. Obviously, probably didn't have to be that hard. But at that point, he's just trying. I mean, like he described after the game, when something like that happens, and particularly in that fashion, like I've never seen anything like that in a baseball game, like unravel that quickly. It's demoralizing. So I think he was trying to do anything he can to to kind of stop them from slowly deflating. Um, And to Ole Miss's credit, they responded with four runs. They scored three of those runs before even recording an out. Top of the ninth, Cooper Johnson walks to start the inning. Kevin Graham doubles the opposite way. Josh Hall gets a big two-run single to score a couple of runs. Steals second. Servideos intentionally walk. Gray Kessinger uh, gets a single to left to make it a three-run lead. And then Anthony Servideo on a double-play ground ball by Tyler Keenan scores from second. Done that a couple times this year. What he had a sack flyer. It was close at the plate too. Yeah, it was. But in some ways, that kind of showed the aggression that Ole Miss was kind of like. Cooper Johnson had an interesting quote after the game, saying even after that happened, they knew they had kind of outcompeted them. They kind of played balls to the wall all day, playing to win. And I think that play, even though it was you know it's the fourth run, you're hoping you don't need it, was kind of evident of how they played the whole day. LSU never got the uh, tying run to the plate in the bottom of the tenth. He had a strikeout, a single, a flyout, another single, and then a uh, strikeout on a check swing to Zach Watson to end a wild ball game, nineteen to fifteen. A combined thirty-four runs, a combined forty-five hits in a four and a half hour baseball game. Two hundred ninety-ish minutes too. I'm sorry. The game lasted like two hundred eighty minutes. 
just I, sounds different than saying four and a half hours? Yeah. Okay. Bigger numbers. <laughs> because you felt like you were at the ballpark a long time. It did, actually, it kind of, well, yeah, I kind of did at the same time, but like, it, it, I don't know, the ninth inning happened so fast, like you didn't really realize it until it was like dark when the game was over and you're like, this game started at two. Borky, did you watch it? Yeah, I, I watched every Ole Miss and Mississippi State game this weekend. I was pretty proud of myself for that. Yeah. I don't know how I survived Craziest that marathon. game I've ever seen. And, and there's nothing – I'm not a purist, baseball purist like you guys are, but in my 27 years, I've never seen anything like that on a baseball field before. <laughs> I've never seen it either. And, like, I mean, we probably discussion for – uh, more time a but like I had people like getting mad that they that they didn't pull Caracy, but like the game happened so fa- like that happened so fast. Like why? When are you going to have someone up when it's fifteen to ten? Like that makes no sense. There's no time to get anybody up. It happened like in a blink of an eye, literally. And it does like, take pitches. guts. As crazy as it was, do what? Uh, it, go ahead. Uh, Ole Miss gets two of three on the road in Baton Rouge. As crazy as it was, it's a series win. Rebels are now 32-17, and 17, and they are tied with Mississippi State for second place in the SEC West. When we come back, fair or foul? All right, we started it last week. Borky liked it, so he brings it back again. Do it, Bork. Yeah, I think I'm going to make this a thing. We'll have uh, we'll dress it up a little bit in the future. But fair or foul on Friday night's game, Mike Bianco's son, Drew, hit a home run and proceeded to do a little pimp job and a bat flip. That fired a lot of people up, even calling it disrespectful. There was an interview that was played on Sunday with Mike and Drew, and Drew kind of apologized for it and said he didn't mean any disrespect, didn't uh, wasn't intending on showing up Ole Miss. He just bat flipped in the moment. Fair or foul? Drew Bianco's bat flip against his dad's team. At the risk of angering some people, fair. Stop taking yourself so freaking seriously. We actually had this conversation on the air yesterday during the uh, the Mike Rooney and I did the uh, Texas Tech Oklahoma game, and we we're talking about pitchers' emotion. I said, "All right, Mike, I got a question for you." People talk all the time about bat flips and showing other people up and all that good stuff, but when a pitcher gets a strikeout and you know, growls or grunts or yells or screams or flexes or whatever. It's emotion. But when a guy bat flips, it's, oh, you're showing somebody else up. But we just quit taking ourselves so seriously and just let people have fun. It's a big moment for Drew Bianco. A lot of emotion. He hits a home run off his dad's team. He's playing for LSU. It's in a win. It's on Friday night in Alec Box Stadium. It's a no-doubter from a distance standpoint. The only question was whether or not it would stay fair. It did stay fair. Hit the pole. Bat flip. Runs the bases. Goes back to the dugout. What's the big deal? Yeah, I can't believe this is even a question. I don't mean Borky asking it. Like I meant like the for the sense that it was asked in a TV interview and all that. Like If I had a ball that far... Which is probably physically impossible, giving my physical physique. But like, if it ever did happen, I would chuck the bat into the dugout and then cartwheel to first base. Like, <laughs> I just don't understand. Like, it's supposed to be like fun. Like, I, I, I don't, I don't get like the, like if you're that offended by someone flipping a bat up in the air before they jog around the bases, then like, go get help. Hey, Dad, fair or foul? It's fair, but 
it would have also been fair, and I don't know that a father would tell someone to bean his son the next day, but if Ole Miss had made him wear one the next day, I, I wouldn't have had a problem with that either. <laughs> he actually did get hit the next day, but it was like on a 1-0 breaking ball that loaded the bases. I don't think the pitch was intended for no, his ear not, hole. Yeah. But if, if, he, he did. if he had taken a 95-mile-an-hour 95, 95 fastball off his backside, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have complained about that either. I thought it was funny. The game was like out of reach at that point, essentially. Like it was cool. And and look, there are people that really there are a lot of people that are still angry that Drew Bianco plays for LSU. Are there really a lot of people? Well, though? there's some. But let me let me tell you something, J- just so you know. Let, let's play this scenario out for a second. Let's say that Drew Bianco goes to Ole Miss, and he has the exact season that he's having at LSU as a true freshman at Ole Miss. You want to tell me how uncomfortable it would be right now? He's hitting like 186. How would that have played out? Every at-bat would have been criticized more than any other player on that team combined. And why subject yourself to that? I agree. Because so many other kids, you look at the kids on Ole Miss's roster that struggled their freshman year. Cooper Johnson started like what five of fifty four or something like that. Great Kessinger, Greg Kessinger was, struggled was a as a freshman, and of course they, you know, when all things kind of fleshed themselves out, they developed into really high caliber players. But like, can you imagine if them two had you know that whole dynamic going on as they're trying to learn how to hit in the SEC as a freshman? Yeah, be terrible. So it's, uh, it's not easy. So. Borky, were you fair or foul? I, I am always team bat flip. I think baseball in general needs a little bit of flair. <laughs> um, it's but that that's not showing up anybody. It's just what happens in baseball. There are purists that think it's disrespect, but it's not. This is what you do now. That's what everybody does now. It's what happens in the majors. That's baseball now. So I'm all for it. I think it's fun, and they ended up losing the series anyway. So no harm, no foul, right? Jose Bautista does still have the greatest bat flip in the history of baseball, right? Well, and on that note, notice in the pros, like in the postseason, all that's acceptable, just somehow not in the regular season. You don't ever throw at somebody in retaliation in the postseason. Well, the throwing at somebody is also really stupid. Uh, If a guy hits a home run off of you, you look weak by throwing at him instead of trying to beat him his next time up. That's not not what a man does. It's not the home run. But that Jose flip. The, so what? The if, Joey then don't Bats, give up a home run if you don't want somebody to bat flip on you. But if you throw at him next time... And the time Joey Bats bat flip... Yeah, it didn't have retaliation, to your point, Borky. Like, literally, the only thing on that bat flip he didn't do was, like, turn around and moon the pitcher. I mean, that had everything else you wanted with it. And, you, you know what annoys me more than bat flips? Because bat flips don't annoy me at all, and this doesn't really bother me? Shooting... Uh, play the air guitar at second base, shooting the air bow and arrow, doing a salsa at second base. Just, you know, just gonna hit and go run to the next base. But if you want to dance when you hit a double, okay, whatever works for you. Just do you, and quit being so sensitive. College football fix is next.
going into the 5 o'clock hour on this Monday, new week. Glad to have you along. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing needs, maybe you need to build a house. You're not buying farmland. You're going to build a house in the country. Well, that's a little bit different loan, a little more complicated loan sometimes than just your conventional, oh, I'm buying a three-bedroom, two-bath house in town in a neighborhood. It's a little less conventional. Well, they can handle a little less conventional because you have to take into account the value of the land and the value of the primary structure. And maybe there's a barn on there that has to be factored in as well. Mississippi Land Bank can handle all of that. So if you're building a house in the country in North Mississippi, you should give Mississippi Land Bank a call. Talk to them about their financing options. Website is mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Ceasefire text line is open, 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. You can text us anytime. Love to hear from you. Please don't text and drive. It's time right now for the College Football Fix. College Football Fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers who take pride in what they do. That's why they build the best cars, trucks, and SUVs on planet Earth. Need a little proof? How about 42 consecutive years with the F-150 as the number one selling truck in America. Stop by your local Mississippi Ford dealer today and test drive the F-150. Find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford Tough. Georgia and Oklahoma are going to play a home and home. Kind of. In 2023 and 2031, the game that is four years away will take place in Norman, Oklahoma on September 9th. The return trip for OU to come to Sanford Stadium in Athens, September 13th of 2031. Good long-range planning. What if the lines come out? <laughs> it's <laughs> futures. It's a futures bet. That would be a really fluctuating line. I'll be 50 when that game is played. 50 years old. Is the foot is a football field the exact dimensions it is right now when that game is played in 2031? Yes. Yes. Assuming the starting quarterbacks of that game are what, 21 years old? That means they're 7 right now. I was actually kind of getting to that. I was like, do you think some of those players right now can currently read? But I guess by seven, yes. Yeah, you would hope so. There are so. players well, currently was, playing I'm, college football. I haven't done the math read. yet. Like, <laughs> I, I hadn't done the math yet. I was thinking maybe they were like four or five, but yeah, I guess it's around seven. Yeah, in, f- in, in 2031, I will be 50 years old with 51 closing in in that November. Big five Youngster. Be a youngster. Yeah. Midlife crisis time there. Why? I don't know. And what do I have to be? Crises about. I thought it was more the age than having something to be crises about. Yeah. Well, I mean, you like create a crisis for yourself. I don't know. Like, I don't. Hey, Dad's closer to this than me. Let's talk to him about it. Red Porsche. You got a like convertible that? in the in the uh, in the future? Hey, Dad. No, I just play a lot of Red Dead Redemption and take it out on them. Uh, okay. I'll you be think 56 you're gonna have a midlife crisis, record, by the way. 
Do I now? 56. Yeah. You think you'll have a midlife crisis? Uh, no. No, I'm pretty I'm pretty I'm pretty laid back. You know, what do I have to Tell be crises about? Rippy That's doesn't have enough right fingers now. and toes to do the math to figure out 30, how old he's going to be. 36? Still well, a young man. Which is two years younger than I currently am. Oh, that sounds rough. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Um, anyway, the, the point of mentioning all of that, one, I guess it's an interesting home and home. Both programs, pretty ambitious schedulers. It's funny how some teams have an easier time scheduling these marquee games than others as well. Clemson and Georgia are going to play a bunch moving forward. They'll play in 2029 and 30, 2032 and 33, and then again in 2034. Oklahoma is going to play Clemson in 2035 and 2036. In addition to Georgia and Clemson, Oklahoma's got future home and homes with Tennessee, Nebraska, Michigan, LSU, Alabama. Georgia has series coming up with UCLA, Florida State, Texas. Um, so some really good ones on the horizon decades from now. Well, here, here's the crazy thing. It seems like forever, right? Although 2023 is not that far away, only four years away, Georgia is going to play at Oklahoma in 2023 before they play at Texas A&M, who joined the conference in 2014. 2012. Whoa. 2012? Yeah. That's right, 2012. Is it? Yeah, that's why I put seven years, seven years there. Yeah, I was, I was thinking about when the SEC Network launched. We're living in 2019. Richard's living in 2021. He's ahead of us. That is wild, though. I didn't, I didn't like, I'd never heard that before. Yeah. I know that next year, 2020, will be the first time Missouri comes to Mississippi State since they've joined the conference. Who does Ole Miss have not – that sounds awful. Who has Ole Miss not gone to and vice versa? I guess one's Missouri. They haven't been to Missouri since You Missouri haven't been to Missouri the since they joined the SEC. And then who hasn't come here? We've got Florida coming there this year, right? Florida has right. not come since the realignment. Yeah, okay. that's pretty quick, hey, Dad. I, I well, you know, I think I, I I'm so obsessed with Ole Miss. I just it just came right to my head. I just meant you narrowed it down quicker than I thought. Like I kind of had a couple in mind, but you got down there pretty quick. The only reason Wouldn't it I be knew cool that is is, is we oh, talked go about ahead. Um, we were recording our pod. Me and Joel Coleman were recording Thunder and Lightning earlier today, and we were talking about this very topic. So I just had it on the brain. This probably would never happen for other purposes, but wouldn't it be cool, because most of the conference chest pumping comes in football, to have a challenge like basketball does for each non-conference game? It'd probably be hard to make that a line, but that would be pretty sweet. Oh, I think it's something that's even been discussed. Really? Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. That would especially be a lot of that, fun. Like especially it, now that the SEC put that rule together that you have to have the Power 5 game. Out of, out of conference, it, it, it makes sense to look for these kind of things. You want to bet that'll never happen, your, your preference is the Big Ten or the ACC? Um, SEC-wise, I'd probably go Big Ten because they're yeah. probably a lot faster than most of those schools. But I was thinking, <laughs> and I guess it'd only be Power Not Fives, Iowa. but, man, what if the, the odd man out in the Power Five one got paired with the American? That would be a real devilish 
like matchup. Yeah. Wouldn't want the ACC because you already have Kentucky, Louisville, South Carolina, Clemson, Florida, Florida State. I want the Pac-12 because those are matchups you never see. You never, very rarely, even in bowl games, you don't get a lot of SEC Pac-12. In my head of how this was looking, I was like counting the Pac-12 as the odd man out. Can you imagine with the current state of the Pac-12, them going in a conference challenge with the American? That has potential for embarrassment. <laughs> it really does. It would be funny to watch. Mike Leach would be Washington State would be the only team that won. And well, I'm just the best, and they're not. I, I suspect Oregon's about to have a string of really good seasons, though. Yeah, twelve or fourteen teams in the Pac-12. Fourteen. Twelve. That's one of those questions. It's like what? a trick question. It's the Pac-12. Yeah. Let's say with the Big Twelve. Fourteen. Know? Big Twelve has no, no, ten. No. Big Ten has fourteen. Pac-12 is. Are they just at twelve? I think they're at twelve. I think it's the ACC, the SEC, and the Big Ten that have fourteen. Because with as little as the Pac-12 does, right, they actually changed yes. their name from the Pac-10 to the Pac-12 when they, they, they added have two 12. schools. You're right. And the Big Ten has not done that. Neither has the Big Twelve. They added, they added Utah and Colorado Florida this year, 12. by the way. We weren't saying Ole Miss played Florida this year. We were saying that's the only team that hasn't come to Oxford. To Oxford during the realignment deal. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, and that happens next year, is that right? In 2020? I believe that's correct. Yeah, Ole Miss hosts Florida next year. Okay. I had no idea. So Ole Miss goes to Missouri. Get to see y'all's old friend. Who? Dan Mullen. Maybe he can do some depositions oh. while he's in town. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. <laughs> oh, yeah. That, didn't the judge say that that stuff had to continue not too long ago? It, it, it's, it's still rolling on. So Scott Strickland and Dan Mullen and Mike Sheridan and 39 John Does are all going to be deposed in the Somewhat near future, right? Yeah. Kill two Evidently, birds with one supposedly. stone, dude, next fall. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. That's your college football fix driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. And just in case it feels like we've muddied the waters, the SEC has 14, the ACC has 14 plus Notre Dame in all sports not named football. The Big 10 has 14, the Big 12 has 10, and the Pac-12 has 12 members. Just in case you needed the refresher, it will not be multiple choice. It will be fill in the blank when you take the test later on. You don't have to show your work, though. Just write your answers. Um, Thank God. 601-879-4395, the number on the C Spire text line, C Spire. Customer inspired. So, baseball this weekend. We talked about Mississippi State winning two of three against A&M in Aggieland. Ole Miss goes to LSU and gets two. Arkansas, two of three from Kentucky. There were nine games played yesterday in the SEC. Weather wreaked havoc this weekend. So Arkansas got game one, and then they got game one of a seven-inning doubleheader to go up 2-0 and win the series. Kentucky got game three with Zach Thompson on the mound. 
Yeah, a lot of people are giving Arkansas a sweep there, and it's hard to sweep that guy. Who? Like yeah. me? No, I think I was thinking of our podcast. Colin was like, Arkansas is going to end it this weekend. And I was like, they might, but I wouldn't count them out. Yeah. Zach Thompson's been pretty uh, pretty good. Missouri got 2-3 of from Tennessee in Knoxville. That is a serious blow to the postseason hopes for the Tennessee Volunteers. Yeah. Potentially a fatal one. Which is it's, it's, incra- it's crazy how good their RPI is and they may not make the tournament. It's sort of the opposite. Sometimes there have been teams in the past that have a great one-loss record, but they don't make the tournament because their RPI is bad. I don't know that I've ever seen it this way around. Is this working in Ole Miss's favor? That Tennessee's RPI is going to be top 15, maybe top 10, when they go to Knoxville in the final weekend of the regular season? Yeah, sure, because if it's already at 17, barring you going 1-5, and 0-6, oh and I mean, 2-4 probably would not be optimal. But like 3-3 three and three are better, and they're probably okay as far as the hosting thing, which I, pro- I didn't think before the weekend, because I didn't know how the RPI would shake out if they... One, two, or three, lost two, or three at Baton Rouge. I just didn't know what it would look like. But if being at 17 would make you think that they're fine at three and three. If Ole Miss were to go three and three, let's just assume that they beat Arkansas State in their final non conference game. Or like you and I talked about, flood the field and not show up. Did we talk about that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I'm not sure that there's much to gain from playing that game. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's quite the situation. Might be one um, of those days where you just hope that lightning's in the area, and if you spot it, you just end it now, kind of thing. Yeah, the problem is Arkansas State's going to want to play the game. Oh yeah. yeah. So you got to flood the field. <laughs> Break a and it doesn't drain very. It doesn't really drain very well in uh, in Jonesboro, I don't think. Because there's what there's um, four teams that are ahead of them in the RPI that they would have a better claim to host over. So even if they're behind them in the RPI, let's say just just for the sake of talking, they stay at number seventeen in the RPI, they would get a host over A and M, Tennessee, Auburn, UC Santa Barbara. Right? Those four they would have a better claim to host over those four, even if they're outside. Let's say number seventeen behind all of them. Probably it's just any RPI 15 or worse doesn't have the great history of hosting. Right. It's a unique but, though, year, though. It, that is true. It, do, it does feel like it is a little bit. I guess the point that I was going to make in that is if 3-3 three and three is the number and you get to 18-12 and 12 in the regular season, you probably don't want to go 0-2 in Hoover. No. Although, I, I guess I should back up, if Ole Miss goes 3-3 three and three in its final six games they're going to be playing on Tuesday in an elimination game. In all likelihood, yes. It would take some pretty weird stuff happening tonight. Yeah. Um, Auburn got two of three against Alabama this weekend. Georgia sweeps Florida. I don't even know if Florida hate at this point is dead man walking. They just may be they may just be dead man at this point. I'm I'm off my uh my bandwagon that I was I was may have been the only one on. That Florida would eventually get hot and start winning games. That's not evidently not going to happen. No, I don't believe it's going to happen at this point. Um, and Vanderbilt gets another sweep. I, I know you guys kind of looked at me sideways when I said I thought Vandy might win out, but Vandy may win out. Oh, I didn't look at you. Sideways. They may not. They, they they may lose this Vanderbilt team. Thirty-eight and nine overall. They're twenty-five and four at home. 
nine and four on the road, eighteen and six in the league, and have won nine straight. Yeah. Blade hit his like twenty third home run this weekend. That's Seems good. Yeah, it's that's a lot. Yeah. Getting in it, that rooker uh, range. It really is impressive. Say what? Get in that rooker range. What's the new single season home run record at Vanderbilt? Yeah. What's what's um, the is does, does Rooker have since they changed the bats the most home runs in a, in an SEC season? Got to be. What did he finish with? Twenty seven. I don't remember anybody with more. I'd have to go back and look though. Yeah, I need to look too. So. So Vandy on top of the SEC East, followed by Georgia at sixteen and eight. Arkansas on top of the West at seventeen and seven. Mississippi State and Ole Miss both two back of Arkansas at fifteen and nine. Feels like the only way either Ole Miss or Mississippi State is catching Arkansas is if one of those two teams sweeps this weekend. I mean, I think the only shot you've got to catch Arkansas at this point is probably to win your final six in the league. Yeah, unless unless LSU can go up there and do some sort of damage to Arkansas and take two, and then, you know, you might you might play your way. I mean, you still need to sweep. but you may, And then you Arkansas's may got A&M in the final weekend, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, so, I mean Ar- you never know. It's not, I don't, it's, not, it's not done. Oh. Yeah. I don't like LSU's chances, per se, but, I mean, you get Cole Henry back. LSU's in, in need of a weekend where they make a lot of noise, and that's a perfect opportunity. It, it's kind of hard for me to see Arkansas, with as well as they've been playing, go anything worse than three and three over their final six conference games. If they went three and three, that would be twenty and ten. That would mean Mississippi State had to go six and zero oh to pass them and win the West. Ole Miss could go five and one to tie them and then win by virtue of the two-out-of-three tiebreaker in Fayetteville. All right. That's that's the uh, the thing to remember is a state tied with Arkansas doesn't do them any good. Exactly. Exactly. So as, as far as winning the West and getting what would likely be the number two seed in the right. SEC tournament. Um, no, what they say, that's why they play the games. Is that what they say? Who exactly is it that says that? They. You apparently them, uh, the guys who wrote the, the large book. dog, the 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 large dog on the sports talk Mississippi Twitter feed. Vandy ain't played nobody. <laughs> but there's Except, something to that, right? They played Arkansas, but they haven't played Ole Miss or State. Ole Miss missing Vandy and Georgia was uh, quite the break. They did have non-conference games against Virginia, Cal State, Fullerton, and TCU to open the year, although that looks a little less impressive now. That is three non-regional teams. That's one of those bad... Virginia won a national championship. Say again, hey, Dad? That's just a bad break. I mean, you schedule those games and you think, okay, we're we're, we're getting... That's three quadrant one wins. Oops. Yeah, you, you, you go to Arizona. I mean, that's three perennial College World Series programs. Virginia won a national championship, what, five years ago? They're about to miss the postseason for the second consecutive year. Cal State Fullerton, send them to Omaha, except not recently. And TCU, after four straight trips to the College World Series, 
about to not make the postseason in consecutive years. So, with all of that said, what about Vanderbilt and their strength of schedule? It's third in the country. Yeah. Well, it's the SEC. So, they kind of have played some people, I suppose. Vandy's schedule, their strength of schedule hurts itself because they can't play themselves. Everybody else who's played them in the SEC gets that bump. They don't get that. True or false? Mississippi State's most impressive win this year? Midweek game against East Carolina. False. It's a good win, though. I think the win over Texas Tech is good. The way they pounded Georgia in on the Friday-Saturday games are really good. And uh, let me try to think. Yeah, I, w- I would put those those wins above. Although that East Carolina win is very good. East Carolina, better record, better RPI than both those teams you mentioned. I'm just saying. I am too. By the way, Texas Tech. They can match. They're playing some ball right now. Those guys can hit. Sports Talk Mississippi. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.